This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Why don't you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to start reading from verse 1, and it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham, and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place that God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship. So, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Now when they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood on the altar, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord Will Provide, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. I want to speak this morning on something I've titled, Call to Sacrifice Living from Worship. We started touching on the life of Abraham last week. And it's interesting because if you go back to when God cut covenant with Abraham, what he said to Abraham was, "Um, I I want you to know something. I've got a purpose and I've got a plan for your life. And I want to introduce you to what that is. And he started speaking to him about the fact that he wanted for him to realize God's promises for his life. And if you look at... um, Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, it starts to give us an idea as to what God promised Abraham. God said to him, I will make your name great. And he said, I will make you the father of many nations, and I'm going to bless you. And in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He made him four promises. He spoke to Abraham, and he gave him something that he wanted Abraham to take away. He wanted Abraham to know that he had a purpose, and he had a plan for his life that he was looking for him to walk into. Abraham took that and Abraham began to move forward with his life. Abraham had a context for what God was looking to do. The thing about it is, although God had given him a destiny, he had given him ultimately what God was looking for him to accomplish, what he was going to do was, Abraham was going to find him in a place where he was going to discover being groomed in the context of relationship. When he first came to the place where he met God and God spoke to him about what it is that God wanted him to walk into, the problem with it was Abraham wasn't at a place where he was able to realize the fullness of everything that God had provided for him. God needed to do some stuff in his life and change a few things in his life so that he was able to walk into it and able to realize 
all that God had provided for him. There were things that happened. We read these stories very often, and I often wonder to what degree Abraham really had a context and an understanding as to what God was saying to him. He spoke to him about the fact that I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you a son. But we know that his takeout from that was that it was correct. I'm looking for an offspring. But in waiting for Isaac to be born, we know that he took things into his own hand and he birthed a reality called Ishmael that he had to live with. And part of his relationship with God, he was discovering the fact that I can't go off and do my own things. I need to get back to find out what God is wanting to do. And I need to be able to corroborate and work, collaborate and work with God in what it is that he's wanting to do. He's wanting to move me in certain directions. I don't know that he necessarily understood the full implications of what it meant to be a father of many nations. Because I think his initial response was to have a look at that and sit and say, God is going to bless me with a son, and so I'm going to have natural offspring, and that's going to materialize and translate into many nations. I don't know that he necessarily had a spiritual understanding of the fact that he was ultimately going to be the lineage through which Jesus came. And ultimately what would end up happening is, although Jesus came through his lineage, Jesus would pay the price so that all of us could move into the kingdom of God. There was a spiritual implication to what God was doing in his life that I'm not sure that he necessarily was able to comprehend and grasp at an early level. God was working with him. God was going to groom him. God was going to take him to a place where he was able to move away from his natural understanding and appreciation of, of dealing with things. And he was able to move into a spiritual dimension so that he could deal with God off that platform. It was him moving to a place where he understood that there are certain things that you can do in and of yourself. You have certain abilities, your capacity to be able to think about how you want to take God's purposes and plans for your life and what you want to do with those things. But God is sitting saying, I need for you to come to a place where you realize you need to leave that stuff and lay that stuff down because I need you to embrace something called trust. You're not going to walk into my plan for your life if you're going to do it. God is dealing with each one of us and nobody was born without a purpose and a plan for their lives. Everyone is born with a purpose and a plan for your life. God knew you before he formed you in the womb and he gave you everything that you need to realize the full purpose that he has for your life. But we are still gonna walk that journey. And as we walk that journey out, the thing about it is God is gonna groom us so that we can walk into everything that he has for us. He's not withholding things from us. We're just not aware of what is available to us. It is about illumination. It is about revelation so that we can gain a grasp of who he is and what's available and we can step into newness. It's not a case of God withholding. It's a case of us growing. We're moving into something all the time. God is doing something so that we can walk into the destiny and the purpose that he has for our life. None of us are very different to Abraham. When God first meets us, we're, we're adept to varying degrees to live in the natural realm. And so our first inclination is to take the things of God and to try and find out how we're able to do it. And so we all have some Ishmaels in our past. We've all birthed some realities that we're sitting looking at and saying, oh, if I had to do that over again, I wouldn't do it. Why? Because I was on my journey of being groomed. I was on my journey where God was taking me somewhere where he was sitting saying, I want you to come to the place where you trust me implicitly 
and you're able to sit back and let me do things in your life. Can you trust me to that point? He's doing things in us and he's moving us closer to where he wants us to be. We like to talk about the promises of God and they're wonderful things to talk about. We like to talk about the fact that God has got a plan and a purpose for our life. We love the idea and we celebrate the idea that Christ has paid the price so that we can walk into the fullness of everything that he's provided for us. And when you're ever having a, a seminar on prosperity, everybody's there. And you have a healing service and everybody comes out of the woodwork. And you talk about promises and covenant blessings and everybody attends church. But you tell them that you're going to have a discussion about sacrifice. And the seats are empty. We like the destination, but we don't like the journey. You see, especially in Christian circles and especially in charismania, we like to get very excited about the promises, but we don't realize that between his speaking the promise and me realizing the promise, there is a journey that I'm going to have to walk along. It's a journey of grooming, and part of the journey of grooming is a journey of sacrifice. Sacrifice. We all live as part of a new covenant. You see, Jesus changed everything. When Jesus came and Jesus was alive here, he understood that his purpose was to die so that you and I could become sons and daughters of God. When Jesus died on the cross and he paid the price, he paid the price for sin so that we could walk into a new covenant with God. We cannot be new covenant and live a new covenant lifestyle when we have an old covenant mindset. We have to understand that there's a difference between things. And the time that Abraham was living was part of the old covenant. And Jesus changed all of that. And so we're living under the new covenant. But there is relevance and there is significance in what happened there. Because it is a foreshadowing of what's coming. And he's speaking to us through that to sit and say, I want you to grasp some of this stuff and understand it. Because although Jesus came, and although you knew New Testament, and although you to live a lifestyle of New Testament, and although we should never have a mindset that is grounded and rooted in old thinking, we need to understand that sacrifice is still a part of it. We don't sacrifice for sin. Jesus paid the price for sin. Sin is not your issue. Sin is paid that, Jesus has paid the price for every sin that ever was, every sin that currently is, and every sin that ever will be. You're not called to sacrifice for sin. When Jesus paid the price for sin, he paid the price to set you free. You are free from sin. But although you've walked out of sin and you're free, God's intention is not to leave you wandering around in the wilderness. He has a plan for your life. There are too many Christians that are at a place where they are free because they've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so their sins have been taken care of and they're at a place where they're exercising freedom and they're living in the freedom of what he's provided for them. They've come out of Egypt and they're happy in the wilderness, but they don't understand the fact that in the wilderness, God is sitting there looking for opportunities to introduce himself to you all the time. Why? Because he's got something called the promised land. He didn't just call you to be free. He called you to be free to step into the promised land. He has promises for your life. And it cost Jesus a lot to establish that. So as we move into a space of freedom, 
What's happening is the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. And what he's doing is he's getting us to the place where we are grounded and established in relationship with him. So that when we get to the place called the promised land, and you're going to have to make a choice, and you're going to have to make a decision whether you're prepared to step over that and move into the promised land, you're not going to come back with a bad report. You'll get to the place where you sit and say, look what he's provided for us. Let's step over the boundary. Let's go. God's got good stuff. God says to, sorry, my pants keep falling down. And nobody wants that, trust me. Especially not on camera. God says to Abraham, he says to him, I want you to take your son Isaac, your only son the one that you love, and I want you to take him to a place called Moriah, and I want you to offer him there as a burnt offering. And it says, immediately Abraham went and got himself prepared and got himself ready, and he grabbed Isaac, and he got his servants, and he packed everything up, and off they went. And on their journey, they came to the place where he stopped, and he said to his servants, stay here with the donkeys. The boy and I will go further to worship. But we'll be back. You see, God called Abraham to sacrifice. But Abraham saw it as an invitation to worship. God called Abraham to sacrifice, but Abraham saw it as an invitation to worship. Why? Because God had said to me, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. God had promised me that he was going to bless me. God said to me that he's going to make my name great. God said to me that in me all families of the earth will be blessed. And although he's given me the provision for all of that stuff, I'm prepared to sacrifice the provision because I know in sacrificing the provision, I'm going to meet with the provider. You see, the provision that God has given you and what you have in your hand is not what's going to get you to where you need to be. Until you have relationship with the provider, all you know is the direction. I got to have relationship with the provider. It's all very well having an Isaac here. And I know that he is my only offspring. And he is the one that's going to be responsible for walking me into God's purpose and God's plan and God's destiny for my life. Why was he able to see it as worship as opposed to sacrifice? Because he, it, it tells us in Hebrews, I think it's 11. It says, he says, I don't care what happens with Isaac. I don't care if I have to kill him. Because even if God has to raise him from the dead, I'm going to witness a miracle. Why did he do that? Because he's sitting saying, my eyes are not on the provision. It's on the provider. I've been at a place where I messed up. I've been at a place where I birthed an Ishmael. I've learned my lesson. I know who he is. And so I'm grounded and rooted in who he is. And whatever he calls me into, what a wonderful opportunity to sit and say, Father, I take everything that I have. You think you give everything with your tithe and offering? God never called you to give one of your kids. It's that pants thing again. He called him to give everything. Everything. Not just his son, but his purpose, his destiny, his legacy, everything. And he said, will you sacrifice it for me? And Abraham said, I'm coming to worship. I'm coming to worship. So 
Because none of this is as consequential as you. When our relationship is established with the provider, you will never be moved by the provision. He came to worship. We have strange ideas about worship. You see, we think that worship is something that we do on Sundays. We have such confined ideas about worship. Worship is that thing that we go to on Sundays where we shamatata for a few minutes and we lift hands and we just make sure that Alex sings a really good song. (laughs) And that gets us into worship. Because we have such a limited perspective on what worship is. Worship's not about a song. Worship is about a connection. You see, worship is about an ongoing connection between me and the Father. And everything that flows from that, all the expressions that come as a result of me knowing him, The reason that it was easy for Abraham to take and sacrifice Isaac was because his relationship with God was established on something called trust. Trust is the foundation to sacrifice. If you don't trust that what you're going to inherit as a result of the sacrifice is better than where you are, we're always going to be reserved about giving up a sacrifice. But when we know that what I'm about to inherit is going to take where I am and multiply it, I'll very easily sacrifice it. How well do you know him? You see, we get to know him in the context of relationship. In in the context of worship. When I recognize that my life is all about being connected to him and what that looks like. Coming into church once a week isn't going to get us where we need to be. We sit and we wait to be reconnected with God when we have a good song. But God doesn't call us to that. God says, I want you to live out of that place. I want you to live out of that point of connection with me. I want you to discover what it is. Our relationship with God is something that should never be static. It's always designed to be expansive. It should be growing. It should be moving forward. Things should be happening with it. Why? Because God always has something new that he wants to introduce us to. God always has something that he's inviting us into. He's wanting us to discover new parts of who he is. Because as that is established on the inside of us, it changes us and it transforms us. Worship is about a lifestyle of connection that sustains us. It's about knowing 
his love. And allowing that to define who I am. And when his love becomes something that's alive on the inside of me, and I live from that place, my response to life and to situations change. It's in the context of worship and knowing who he is that I come to the place where my life starts to take on meaning and purpose. Outside of that, it's very easy to live in function. Our life is full of opportunities to live in function every day because they're things that we do. We don't realize how much of our life is actually rote. What makes rote purposeful? is when I live from relationship with him. Because suddenly I begin to realize that there are opportunities to take who he is and what he's all about and what he's doing in my life and who I am and use those as springboards for expansion and newness and discovery and growth. And all of a sudden, those things become opportunities for me to realize more of who he is in a natural context. You think about raising kids. We do all the functional stuff. Feed them, clothe them, take them to school. Do everything that needs to be done. It's functional. It's easy to slip into function. The point of it is, how do you make world changes? How do you change something like that? How do we shift our paradigm on something that is very much a functional reality for many people? Because we look at it from a different perspective. We're supposed to look at it from a godly perspective and sit and say, in the context of relationship, Father, I don't know how to do this. I've never been a parent. And the one thing that is reiterated to you as a parent every single day is, you know you've never been here before, you don't know how to do this. And just when you think you've got it down pat as toddlers, then they become kids. And when you think kids are sorted out, all of a sudden they become teenagers. It's always changing. It's always evolving. You're always dealing with something. It's like a moving target. It's parenthood. The point of it is, in relationship and in context with him, he is going to give you insight. He's going to share with you points about what you should be doing. He's going to share with you about who you are and what he's given you. Why? Because he wants you to realize in that context how you're able to take lives and mold lives so that they become springboards for him. There is a bigger point at play. In John chapter 4, It says, God is looking for worshipers. He's not looking for worship. God is looking for worshipers. He's not looking for worship. Why is that important? Because what he's saying to us is this. Everything in God's economy happens and is motivated by love. It's motivated by love. And something happens when somebody comes and approaches God and says, everything that I have is yours. I will sacrifice, I will give, I will do whatever you need me to do, but it all belongs to you. Something happens when it says, you know what? My circumstances and my situations are immaterial. I want you to know something. I just love you. Thank you for being you. I want to thank you, Father, that although I may not understand everything, I'm choosing not to get offended because you didn't do things the way that I thought you should have. 
And I'm stepping beyond that with the intention of sitting saying, I'm going to love you and I will worship you even if I don't understand it. Why? Because the provider takes preeminence over everything. What Abraham understood was everything which is natural is secondary, is inconsequential to having relationship with him. And out of that, it becomes so easy to birth so much more. Where was I? Our journey with God is going to include sacrifice. God is always looking to do something in our lives so that we discover who he is. And the thing about it is there are parts to us that get in the way of who God is. There are times where we think certain things. And we have thoughts, and some of those thoughts are against God's design and God's purpose. There are people who don't believe in healing, even though they're born again. There are sometimes we have ideas that transcend and go against who God is and what he's all about. There are sometimes we feel things. It's so easy to get to a place of offense with God. One of the biggest arguments you ever hear from the world is, well, if all of this is happening, where is God? Why didn't God do this? What they're doing is talking from a fence. Well, God should have done it. We have things in our heart that create resistance and barriers, barriers to us walking into relationship with God. And the thing about it is, those are the things that God calls us to sacrifice. Why? Because there are times where you have to sacrifice certain thoughts and certain feelings that are at odds with who Christ is so that you can get Christ. So I can get him and his thinking and who he is in my life. In Exodus chapter 21 and verse 42, he's got a verse and it says that. Donna, are you sleeping with that hat on? It talks about the fact that at the gate, there was a <laughs> it's an altar of burnt offering. At the, bolt, there's a, at the tabernacle, right at the gate, was the altar of burnt offering. And what ends up happening was the tabernacle was the place where God used to reside amongst human beings. That was a place where he used to live. But right at the gate, right at the door, was the altar of burnt offering. And what he used to do is God said, when you came to me because you were sinful, when you used to sacrifice, I would meet you at that place and I would speak with you. It's different. What ends up happening now is we have the life of God on the inside of us. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost the moment that you got born again and the life of God moved on the inside of you. The fact of the matter is God is looking for opportunities to get connected with you. God is looking for opportunities to sit and say, I want to make your life more expansive. I want you to walk into some spiritual realities that will touch and transform and change you and who you are. The thing is, do you want to go for the journey? Or are you going to stay stuck where you are? Because what I need for you to do is I need for you to sacrifice the fact that you don't think I can do that in order so that you can gain what I'm able to do. 
The thing is, if we don't sacrifice those things, we never realize and we never position ourselves to experience resurrection power. Everybody talks about resurrection power. Everybody wants to experience resurrection power. The question is, what have you died? What have you killed? What have you sacrificed? There's nothing dead, but we're looking for resurrection power. In John chapter 11, Jesus was raising Lazarus from the dead. And in raising... It's too late, I'm gone. In John chapter 11, he's raising Lazarus from the dead. And what he says is he's talking and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't say, I'm going to show you the way to resurrection power. He didn't say, I'm going to show you the way to life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life in verse 26. What he was saying was this, I am the anointing and the power to overcome. That's what he was saying. I am the anointing and the power to overcome. So every time Jesus meets us at a place and we're thinking different to what he's thinking, he's sitting saying, are you prepared to sacrifice that? Because if you prepare to sacrifice that thought, what will end up happening is it's an invitation for resurrection power and life to come in. And when resurrection and power comes in, resurrection power and life is Christ. It's not showing you the way, it's who he is. In that circumstance and situation of your life, you're inviting Christ in. Christ is the resurrection and the power. When you have Christ, you have resurrection life. When you experience Christ, you're experiencing resurrection power. When you have the fullness of Christ, you have the fullness of the anointing. And resurrection power. That's who he is. That's why for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. I need to get him in here. Because he's the one that carries with him the anointing and the power. Why does he do that? And how is he able to do that? What does he introduce us to? You see, when we have Christ on the inside of us, part of the reason that it becomes important is because it offers us the opportunity to be introduced to the Father. Because when we're introduced to the Father and the Father's nature, which is life and love, it's his glory. The thing about it is, God's glory, the Father's glory, only is manifest through Christ. He's not prepared to share his glory with another human being. If you want to experience the glory of God, the only way that you get it is if Christ is established on the inside of you. Because you're not going to get it any other way. If you want to touch God's glory, and if you want God's glory to manifest itself in your life and in your circumstance, get Christ involved in that because he brings with him the glory. That's why it's so important for us to have Christ. It's not what we can do. We live in a constant state where we're sacrificing our ability so that we can gain grace. Him doing everything for us. I have to hurry a little bit. They go off and they go up the mountain. And as they get up there, um, Abraham takes Isaac and binds him and puts him on the altar and he's about to kill him. And all of a sudden, the angel comes and says, stop. Stop. I know the intention of your heart. You would have followed through with it. I have no doubt. 
Don't do it. In that moment, I actually think Abraham may have been a little bit disappointed. I think he was looking forward to seeing the miracle. He wanted to see God raise him up. He had no intention of stopping. He was going to follow through with this. And he turns around. And there is a ram caught in the thicket. And he calls the place. Oh, I don't, this is, my Hebrew is not very good. <laughs> I have to brush up on my Hebrew. He calls the place God Yira, Y-I-R-E-H. God will provide. God will provide. You see, when Abraham went up to worship, he met with the I am. The I am was the one who said, I am everything that you need me to be. And in that space of worship, he encountered the one who said, I am, I am Yahweh, the one who sees, the one who foresaw every one of your needs and made provision for it before you even realized that you had a need. I had the ram stuck in the thicket before you even started walking up the mountain. You never saw it, but I knew what you needed. And I had made provision for you before you even got here. But it was in the space of worship that he encountered the I am. In the space of worship is where you will encounter the I am. It's in the space of worship where you will realize and you will get connected with the God who has said, I am everything that you need for me to be. Everything that you're looking for, I am. Everything that you needed in your life, I foresaw and made provision for before you even got there. Jesus has done everything. It's in worship where we get introduced to the I am. It's in that place where we start to establish the trust and the confidence. It's all very well knowing about the promises. It's all very well knowing about God has the fact that he, the fact that God has a purpose for your life. But what needs to undergird all of that stuff is something that only comes out of worship, out of relationship. It is trust. Knowing that God had a plan for his life wasn't enough. He was established in trust. That's why he could pick up the knife. What you know is not as important as what is established in your heart. Our relationship with him is fundamental. One more point and then you can go. The point is this. I'm the only one who got my jokes. Obviously it wasn't funny. He said to his servants, we are going up to worship. We're going up to worship and we will return. He, we will return. What did he say? I am going with the boy and we are going to a place where we are going to meet. I am that I am. We are going to a place where I'm going to meet the God who's more than enough. And when I've met with the God who's more than enough, God and the boy, the boy and I and the God who's more than enough will return and we will go back. This is the point. Worship is not an escape from your reality. 
Worship is not an escape from your reality. Worship is an opportunity for you to be introduced to the great I am. And when you're introduced to the one who is more than enough, when you're introduced to the one who is everything that you would ever need him to be, then you will be equipped to go back to your world and to your life and to your circumstances and to your situations and deal with it from a different paradigm. That's what happened to Moses. God had a purpose and God had a plan for Moses' life. And because of that, he provided for him. He provided a life of royalty. He provided an indulged life. The problem with it was, is that Moses never knew God the way that he should have. So he tried to live from his provision as opposed from the provider. And he ended up getting kicked out of Egypt. And he ended up in the backside of the desert. And he lived in the backside of the desert for a while until finally he met with God at the burning bush. And what he was meeting with was not the provision, it was the provider. And what was happening, God was saying, you've just been introduced to the great I am. And when he said, what am I supposed to do? How can you possibly imagine that I'm going to go back to Egypt? And what on earth should I tell Israel when I get there? What did he say? You tell them that the great I am that I am has sent you. All of a sudden, Moses' life changed. You see, he came out of his reality to a place where he met the provider. And as a result of that, he was no longer dependent on his provision, born into royalty, to achieve his purpose and his objective and and God's plan for his life. All of a sudden, he was able to live from the provider, which changed everything. But what did he do? God sent him back to Egypt. He sent him back into his reality, this time equipped with provision. God is going to send you back to your reality. But he's going to send you back with the great I am. God has a wonderful plan for each of our lives. And if you want to know more about that plan... All you have to do is open the New Testament and you can start to read about it. You can read about the promises, the plans, and the purposes. It'll give you direction, it'll give you insight, and it'll begin to color for you what the future should look like. But if you want to make it a reality, it's going to be discovered in the space called worship. You see, the things of the kingdom are driven in large part from relationship with him. We can have the understanding, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is a function of the heart. Faith is a function of what's established on the inside here. Faith is a function of whether you know the provider or not. We can get excited about the provision, but unless we link to the provider, it'll always be elusive. Father, I thank you for your word. I want to thank you for your goodness. I want to thank you for everything that you've provided through Jesus. I want to thank you, Jesus, for dying for us so that we could walk into the reality that we do. I thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price for sin and you've done everything necessary to walk us into a life of abundance and fullness and blessing and provision. 
I want to thank you that you love us so very much that your Holy Spirit is with us always. I thank you that he's guiding us and leading us, that he's opening the eyes of our understanding and showing us encumbrances and hurdles and things that get in the way of your perfect design for our life. I thank you for the invitation to sacrifice because it introduces us to resurrection power. I thank you that as we lose those things, those barnacles and those bits of our life that become encumbrances to us realizing the fullness of Christ, I want to thank you that we step more and more into everything that you have for us. We bless you and we thank you for your goodness. I thank you for a week full of potential and opportunity. I thank you, Father, for people who are charged up and full of the life of Christ. I thank you that you introduce them to people and create opportunities for them to speak life into circumstances and people. I thank you for change and transformation. I thank you for an encounter and experiences on an ongoing basis with who you are and what you're all about. We bless you and thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.